Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. I may have been early. Were you following my mail? No. I was following your voice that time, and I think I jumped the gun. So you may have to do a little bit of rearranging. Just like me in my chair. I have to do a little bit of rearranging right now. Ahem. I, when you followed my mouth last week, sounds weird. It worked beautifully. Yeah, so I'll remember that for next time then. I'm yeah. glad that you let me know. Hold on. I don't think I locked my door. No, I did. Oh my goodness. Hi. Hi. Happy Sunday. It's podcast by proxy on a Sunday again. We just can't get it together. We don't record during the week anymore. <laughs> it's just, we got busy lives. It's also, I feel like you can tell when it's Thursday or Sunday. Like, those are the two days that we record. And I feel like Thursday is a bit more business and Sunday is a little bit more casual. <laughs> so, a little more laid back. Yeah. Uh, I'm really happy that we're doing this now, though, because this has been a, a deep dive. The longer we were sitting and waiting, the more I was like, oh, it's never going to end. I was just going to say, for anyone listening, I literally text Olivia saying, what time do you want to record? And she said, please not too late, because I keep going further down this rabbit hole. So I just said, okay, let's do it now. <laughs> so here we are. You have to have some self-control. Yeah, I went into this, and so the episode's going to be titled uh, Tracy Tom. I'm going to leave it at that in the title. Okay. I went into this knowing that this case specifically didn't have a ton of information. I knew it was really underreported because of the nature of it. And I kind of thought that it was going to be a quick, like, case synopsis and then maybe a discussion about some other topics. It never is. And then the vortex. I was like Alice falling down the hole. That is what I felt like. (laughs) And I was at the part where she's about to, like, eat the drink meat cookies, and then you texted me, and I was like, look, if you don't stop this now, it's never going to end. When Olivia's about to go too far with something, I'm just there to be like, no, 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 stop. Did you also catch that I called it drink meat cookies? Like, they're not labeled eat me because you eat them? This is where I'm at in this, this point of today. There's an eat me cookie and a drink me drink down there. So I just thought you were just giving me a little squished together word. I was just word vomiting and my brain went where it went. You're very pink right now. I love it. You got a whole vibe happening right now. You don't even know the half of it. Look at look at my pants. Well, I do. I can I can see from the waist up so I can literally see half of it. Right. So the other the other half is nude pink leggings, the nude pink leggings okay. I have from Free People, the where people always think I'm not wearing pants. I was just gonna say we need to talk about these. Oh, everybody wants to talk about them all the time. I just don't think they should be in your Instagram stories anymore. Do you know how many people message me? She has no pants on. And I was like, no, I can see her ankles. She has leggings on. Yeah. But we're going to talk about this eventually. Yeah, I get so many messages from people being like, I had to look three times. I thought you were nude. Yeah. So I just, I love Oh, them I all. definitely, I definitely had to like hold down on your story so it would freeze. So I could be like, uh, no, I see cuffs. I see cuffs. 
But yeah, so those are kind of a nudie pink. And then I'm also wearing kind um, of. white and pink socks. And I'm wearing pink uh, sandal slippers. I saw them. They're really cute. Pink glasses and my pink headphones. I'm literally just pink today. This is how I feel. Is it Wednesday? No, but I wear pink every day. That's true. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, if you know, you know, like with the leggings, if you're listening, like people who know, they're just laughing. They're like, yeah, I know. So I'll tell you the story of those leggings because now it's a thing and so many people comment on them. Please do. I ordered a shout out to a local clothing company here on the island, Finders Keepers. They're a boutique in Courtney, Mm -hmm. B.C. I really like ordering from there because they carry a lot of free people stuff and I like their activewear line. They have what they call mystery clothing bags, and you know I love a good mystery bag or box. Oh, that's like the Mm -hmm. adult version of a Claire's bag. Oh. But it's like $300 to $500 worth of clothes. You just pick your size. So I picked, I got a medium bag and a large bag because I just figured anything I didn't want, I would just resell on Poshmark. (laughs) Or give to me. Or give away or whatever. Anyways, so... These leggings, these free people nude leggings were in there. And it's like one of the only things I actually kept out of this mystery bag. But I'm obsessed with them. They're so, like, they're great. They're my first pair of free people leggings because I actually just really like their tops. Okay. I want you to make me a deal then. You get to keep wearing the pants as long as you look for a matching top. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I can thousand percent get on board with that. I'll find one tonight. Where's my phone? Where is my Let's phone? Let's just shock value people. You'll just look butt knackered walking down the street. I told Brandon that I purposely wear them now because people think I'm naked or wearing no pants all the time. Like, do you get a lot of like second looks when you're wearing them too? I don't know I guess you because don't really notice I was going to say I'm not the kind of person that notices if people look are looking at me. I'm really, Ask Brandon to watch. I'm super dense that way, but I get a lot of Instagram messages being like, I thought you weren't wearing any pants. <laughs> <laughs> so I wear them more. Fair, <laughs> I guess. I think somebody actually said it took me a moment and then I realized that you didn't have a butt crack. <laughs> The comments I get from these pants are honestly amazing. So that was a super hard sidebar, but we're back. But they're definitely a shock when they just come up in your story. (laughs) (laughs) And I do wear them a lot. (laughs) It's become a thing. Uh, Shout out, though, to Finders Keepers Boutique. You can find them on Instagram. They're great. They got, like, a good online ordering thing. I love their clothes. And they're just awesome ladies. So, like I said before, this started out as I wanted to write the murder of Shelby Tracy Tom. Um, She was known as Tracy among her friends and family. And she was a transgender woman born on an undisclosed date in 1963. So, we don't know when, but... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So, at the time of her death, she was living in Vancouver, B.C., and she was working as a sex worker in the downtown east side. Friends knew and described Tracy as a breathtaking beauty who was generous, genuine, respectful to everyone she met. She loved her life and her friends, and her family loved her and supported her. 
So I actually found this case. We were talking about the gay panic defense last week. And I think I mentioned yeah. I was watching like a little um, radio clip from a few years ago. And I had put the, the clip in the show notes. Uh, I went in and added them. But it was actually one of Tracy's friends who is an advocate in the trans community who brought up her case when I was listening to that. So I wrote it down and then I started looking into it and I decided I wanted to... Uh, tell everybody Tracy's story. So before we get into it, I kind of wanted to just talk about because it is Pride Month, I wanted to just explain, I guess, uh, what it means to be transgender. Just in case anybody needs a freshen up. Uh, so gender identity is the gender a person feels or experiences regardless of their biological sex and gender expression is how people portray themselves through the way they dress, talk, and act according to the principles. So simply put, a person who identifies as transgender has a gender identity or a gender expression that differs from the sex that they were assigned at birth. The term transgender is also an umbrella term that encompasses people who identify as non-binary or genderqueer, which basically means that they do not identify with either male or female in terms of their expression or their identity. Well, it's fluid, like you said. So this is obviously different from sexual orientation, uh, which only refers to what someone like what sex someone is attracted to. So someone could be both transgender and gay. Okay, yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to outline the differences and note that down before we get into it. And then uh, the other thing I did... Well, and there is a lot of different identities as well now at this point in time. So it is important that we do take a minute to just explain what it is. So And And there's so many more... Beyond what I even said, to be honest, I am not educated enough or as educated as I would like to be in terms of all of the different identities and what they mean to people. Um, It's something that I've been meaning to research more um, because I swear every day I turn and there's another letter added on to the end of it and I just feel like I should know what that means. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, because Tracy was a transgender woman. I just wanted to make sure that that was really clear. Um, And then the background of kind of where she was. So the downtown east side is, as we both know, but many people might not know, it's a really Mm well-known neighborhood in Vancouver, BC. It's one of the city's actually oldest neighborhoods, and it's the site of quite complex set of like social issues. There's a lot of drug use, homelessness, poverty, crime, mental illness, a ton of sex work there, which there's nothing wrong with, but because it's also such a high... It's a high risk area. Yeah. It's a high risk area for other things. Um, so it's really dangerous. So the area was actually one point a popular hub of Vancouver at like the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah, the buildings there... Other than being like super run down, they're really cool buildings. They're really nice old buildings. It's just unfortunate that they clearly haven't been maintained whatsoever by the city or the people living in them. Yeah, because it was that was like where the hustle bustle was in the early 20th century, um, which I actually didn't know until I started researching this, if I'm being honest. 
Um, I didn't know a lot of the history of the downtown east side, and it's really, really interesting. I'm not going to go over it all, but um, it is worth looking into. Kind of like before the Great Depression and stuff, it has really interesting history. So... That kind of took a decline, though, over several decades, um, several issues, an influx of hard drugs, uh, new policies that push sex work out of nearby areas, and the stopping of federally funded social housing just kind of all was the big explosion that led to being what the downtown east side is today. Mm-hmm. So the area today, it continues to be a high-risk area, drawing in a lot of people with mental health and addiction issues. Um, There was actually an HIV epidemic in 1997 due to needle sharing. And in 2003, the downtown east side's first safe injection site, also known as a supervised injection site called Insight, was opened. So safer supervised injection sites are harm reduction programs and they provide a safe health focused space where people can inject drugs under the care of medical professionals. These sites help to offer a solution to the negative public health effects and other implications of open drug use in downtown Vancouver, as well as uh, sharing needles, preventing overdoses, providing additional preventative health care, etc., etc., Um, There's a ton of benefits to these types of sites, especially in a location like the downtown east side. Yeah, we have one not too, too far from our house. And I mean, I know that sounds odd, but we do live near town. And uh, yeah, it's always quite busy, but it's like fairly clean. Everyone there looks happy and healthy. And it's just nice knowing that someone is monitoring um, individuals after they inject drugs. Because if we can prevent those overdoses... That would be nice, considering all the epidemics we've had over the years, and we're in again right now. Absolutely. We're 100% in it, and uh, I know that there's been a lot of controversy. Controversy? There's a lot of controversy. (laughs) I can't even take myself seriously. No, (sighs) I can't take you seriously right now. I'm trying so hard. It's going to be your new nickname. What? Controversy. Controversy. (laughs) Okay. No, I know there was a lot of controversy over uh, this insight when it opened. I remember, uh, you know, doing a lot of research on it when I was a little bit older. And even still to this day, there are people who don't agree with it. But there's a ton of benefits to having a site like this with a lot of these um, issues. Some of the benefits are reduced number of overdose deaths, uh, reduced HIV and hepatitis C transmission, safe injection sites help to ensure that injecting equipment remains inside and is not discarded in the community. Um, Basically, you're not stepping on needles. They also provide an opportunity for multiple contacts with healthcare staff, social workers, and other individuals who can help users move towards healthier choices such as drug treatment programs, primary health care, and other uh, social services. So like you were just saying, over recent years, there has been a huge number of fentanyl overdoses. Uh, These sites Mm -hmm. now carry Narcan, and Vancouver actually recently has put up pop-up tents in the streets that carry Narcan because a lot of overdose deaths happen when somebody is in an alley by themselves and they can't get to a safe injection site to receive Narcan. So, um, yeah, and this is so much faster, 
faster acting than other drugs too. So they kind of need to have it distributed throughout the city, I think, to make sure it maintains effectiveness. Yeah. Um, And I mean, do you remember when we had that? I shouldn't say you, but do you remember when people were like putting needles under car door handles here? They were like taping them to stair railings and stuff. Yeah, there was people putting needles everywhere where you'd grab to like accidentally jab people constantly based on my face right now i did not know that you didn't know (laughs) um so that was really all i wanted to say about that as i was reading more into this case i kind of realized i this is a topic that i wanted to talk about and and learn about read more about um this is the appropriate time to do it so now that we kind of covered what it means to be transgender and the downtown east side Let's actually get into the case, shall we? We've only been here for 18 minutes. We've got minutes. two parts of the equation. We've only been here for 20 minutes. So Tracy... Yeah, we do what we can. Tracy Tom, she was often helping those who were underprivileged. I know, you were just like... Do you have, like, cotton swabs in your mouth? Like, you know, you go to the dentist and they put those little rolls of stuff in your cheeks. So you're like, excuse me. <laughs> I'm having a tough time. Tracy was often helping those who were underprivileged and struggling on the downtown east side. She was generous with her money. She especially looked out for the younger kids on on the street. She literally sounded like she was everyone's mom. Taking care of them, keeping a sense of community. Tracy completed an undergrad degree majoring in history from SFU, which for anyone who doesn't know is Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. And that was in the same year that she died. Her hope was to leave her job as a sex worker and become a social worker so that she could help other people in the trans community. Oh, I got like goosebumps when you said that too. She was literally amazing. Like, okay, she worked hard as fuck. She had acquired a million dollar condo on Beach Ave and drove like her (laughs) beloved Mercedes. Oh my gosh. Tracy, a whole ass queen. Oh my God. Get it, girl. Yeah. So Tracy worked the night stroll as it's called, which I literally Googled (laughs) and it just means you work night shift. Um, yeah, I don't know why I thought it was going to mean anything else, but I was like, ooh, what's the night stroll? You thought it was like it's, some cool secret name for a job or something? Just the night shift. <laughs> um, yeah. This is where she meets Jatin Patel, who at the time was 29 years old. And this is the night of May 27th, 2003. Okay. So who is Jatin Patel? Um, so Patel had actually landed back in Canada on May 26, 2003, just one day prior to meeting oh. Tracy in the downtown east side, he was deported from the United States after serving 60 months in jail, which is five years, if you're wondering. Hashtag math. <laughs> also had to- Was that written into your notes, though? So did you do math earlier? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely it was. Hashtag math. <laughs> homework maybe that you're turning in today (laughs) sometimes my jokes are pre-written but normally they're they're not that's why they're not funny (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean i think you're funny i did pre-write that one and i had a good chuckle in my bed with my laptop while i did it uh oh i do that too (laughs) if it comes to you you gotta jot it down it happens happens this these to me so oh my gosh okay a little bit about patel uh i actually wasn't gonna go into him but he's the whole reason i ended up on this deep dive so he was born in 1974 in toronto to indian immigrant 
parents who were fleeing Fiji. Parents? <laughs> they, okay, so they were fleeing Fiji to the United States because at the time, Fiji was, like, pushing out a lot of Indian business people. Oh, okay. So, so like, it wouldn't oh. have been sustainable for them to live there? Exactly. They were basically moving to, they moved to Statesboro, Georgia shortly after they moved to Toronto. Hey, Frankie. (laughs) But then read a piece that was written by Patel's lawyer that said his parents got U.S. citizenship for themselves when they moved from Toronto to Georgia. Keep in mind, Patel is a baby. I'm just referring to him as Patel throughout this, by the way. Yeah, that's fine. That's why I wrote it. Um, so he's a baby. They move. So they move from Fiji to Toronto. They stop in Toronto. She gives birth. I don't even think it was that long after they moved to Georgia. So this piece written by his lawyer says that his parents get U.S. citizenship for themselves and just assume that that meant that they did it for their infant son as well. So Okay, as... Someone whose mom immigrated here as a kid. I could maybe see that confusion happening because my mom didn't have citizenship until like a couple years ago. Yeah, so I kind of thought that too. I'm like, well, okay, they immigrated from a different country and they never, I don't even think they ever really planned to stay in Toronto. I think she like went into labor early. Well, like did they... And they had to. Did they have an immigration lawyer helping them? Because if also English is a second language to them, that could be really difficult too. So yeah, I have no idea. But I'm just not holding his parents like I'm not either. Too but hard for this, no. But it this it comes up because like he's basically a nomad. Like Toast. his family lives in a country that he doesn't have <laughs> citizenship in. So when he's ten, his dad is shot dead by one of his employees oh. over money, and then. Patel is incarcerated for the first time in grade 12 for forging his mother's signature on checks. So basically, when his dad died, they were running and operating like motel businesses. Mm -hmm. So when his dad died, he basically became like reception and cleaning at the motel because his mom continued to operate these motels. And so apparently, again, according to this piece written by his lawyer, he claims that he was working at the family business. And by this time, he's like, you know, grade 12, you want to be making some money. She's not actually paying him. He only is making the tips that he's receiving. The rest is just like free child labor. So he cut himself a check for what he felt he was owed for a month's worth and a month's worth of work and just like forged her signature. Do you know how much it was? I, I want to know what he thought he was worth. I don't, but ha- the the reason, so he gets caught because his mom thinks that, like, somebody else is stealing from her and calls the cops. Okay, honestly, if my mom ever noticed money missing from her bank account, for example, the first thing she would do is turn to me and my brother and be like, who used my bank account? She wouldn't just call the cops and be like, oh, no. (laughs) Well, I'm wondering if they had other employees. So if she thought maybe one of her employees was stealing from her. Feel it out. (laughs) I have no idea, but she calls the cops and then... So he gets a five-year sentence for forgery and theft. And his mom like... Oh, my God. His parents don't even drop the charges. No, apparently his mom was like, no, don't charge him. And prosecutors just like went forward with it. Oh, like the state did it. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you meant his mom pressed charge. (laughs) So because, because she didn't even know it was him. She was just like, oops, someone's stealing from me. Calls the cops and then realizes it was him. So the cops like arrest him. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's my son. Like, please don't. I'll deal with it myself. And they're like, like, too late. And so he gets a five year sentence um, for forgery and theft. Two and a half years into that five year sentence, he tried to escape prison. So he's sentenced to another five years. The dumb ones do. And then two and a half years later, again, he's released. So, like, why did we bother with this? So he still did five years? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. When he's released from jail, though, he's deported back to Canada. Because he's not a U.S. citizen. So he doesn't get to go... He doesn't get to go home, though. Like, he's, you know... Just in his... He's like that guy from the Real Housewives, Joe or whatever, where he had to like go to jail and he like got out of jail and then they were like, go back to Italy. Bye. See ya. Uh, no, but yeah, so he's like in his early 20s and he can't go home to his mom. So he just like gets sent back to Toronto. Aww. Yeah. Okay, that would fuck with you. Exactly. Um, I do feel for him there. Every 20 year old needs their mom still. So then... He manages to get back, like, he he basically lies his way back into the States. And, uh, eventually, though, they catch him for that. And then he's put back in jail. Um, and then, so once he's finished this jail sentence... This guy's got some shit luck. Honestly, it's just horrible luck. It's really, it's, like, we're laughing, but it's, you know... Like, I know he's probably the bad guy here. But this is a series of fucking unfortunate events. Exactly. I think you are a product of your environment and upbringing as well. And unfortunately, this person, I think, was very lost. Yeah, you're right. They didn't belong anywhere technically. So it felt okay. a floater. So I wasn't going to bring this up in the episode, but I think I am. Because it's all—it's out there. It's in my sources. It's in the information. Are we going to feel worse for him? Yeah, kind of. So Okay, that's fine. So remember how I said he was born premature in Toronto? Oh, God. Yeah. He was born with, like, multiple defects, and one of... I thought you were going to say this. One of them is that he was missing the bottom half of his colon, so they had to... So they had a colostomy bag? They had to create him, like, essentially, like, an artificial... Butthole. Butthole. We'll, yeah. we'll use the that. Sphincter. I was going to say the, like, medical term, and I couldn't think of anything better that was less gross. Sphincter. <laughs> so he has to, like, cathodize himself every two days to, like, expel it. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking by a colostomy bag. So, like, in jail, he was, like, when he was in and out of jail in the States and stuff, I was just reading that he was a lot more susceptible to infection because they didn't provide him with, like, the proper size tubing he needed. I know. Poor guy. Okay, I will say that's got to be extra traumatic because I can only imagine how much harder that made it being in there. Yeah. So, I don't know. I wasn't even going to go into all this because it's like, it it shouldn't be about his unfortunate situations. But I think if I'm going to do a case and I'm going to do it all the way and this is the info I have for you. So, we're not leaving it It out. It doesn't justify what he does or did. But it's important to know who he is and why he became that way, maybe. So I think so. I think it was worth mentioning. Yeah, so it's just kind of like a, a timeline of how we get to this night on May 27th, 2003. Basically, after that sentence for lying about being a U.S. citizen, like lying his way back into the States, goes back to jail, gets deported. He's flown to Vancouver 
He gets off the plane in Vancouver. He's released from the Vancouver airport and he books into the Travelodge Motel in North Vancouver with money that his mom wire transfers him. Okay, so there was no police notified. No one was there to greet him and just figure out what he was up to and where he was going. Correct. Okay, he great. was just like, you're Wonderful. out. Bye-bye. Really not our problem anymore. Yeah, have a free nice, man. Have a good time in Vancouver. You know nobody. So this... You don't have a place to go. Yeah. See ya. And yeah, like, great. like okay. I said, he Wonderful. has to call his mom in Georgia and she wire transfers him money that he then books this hotel room. So that's a bit okay. about Tracy. That's how we get to May 27th, 2003. Patel and Tracy meet at a nightclub on the downtown east side. He agrees to pay her $400 for sex, and they relocate to his room at room 214 at the Travel Lodge in North Van. This is in the 2000th, 2000th block of Marine Drive. I think it's like 2060 Marine Drive is the exact address. Tracy begins performing oral on Patel, and suddenly he notices scarring on her body and he says he immediately recognized it as gender reassignment surgery scars he becomes completely enraged goes straight for her throat and she's dead wow like that fast okay yeah that's crazy now okay did it say how he was able to identify what those scars were from so quickly and so easily nope because I just didn't think that that would be that recognizable. I was thinking the same thing. How? Okay, so I'm thinking she's giving him oral. So did yeah, you so notice like him. chest <laughs> scarring? Because I have chest scarring because I had a breast reduction. So how do you, yeah. a man, know the difference between those different scars? Maybe they're doing some good old 69ing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I thought the same thing, though, immediately. I was like, how did you immediately recognize that as gender reassignment? But okay. Maybe. I mean, unless she undressed before maybe. the yeah. oral sex, like maybe that was part of it because the idea was that they were going to have sex in the end. It was the agreed upon. So maybe she had gotten undressed. Maybe. I guess that would be feasible, maybe. Yeah, multiple sources. Some say that she was, like, choked slash strangled to death. But then some say that he lunged at her throat so hard that it, like, broke her throat, basically. Or, like, broke her airwave or, like, broke something there. Like, he lunged at her and went, like, hard and it broke her throat, basically, and she died. Jeez. Since it's a small airway, you could crush it. Oh, absolutely. I just feel like also that's a ridiculous amount of force and anger i need to push my mic away because it keeps like flaring yellow and it's gonna sound like i'm yelling i keep kind of slowly adjusting where i'm sitting because i'm watching mine too i know it's just because i'm talking loud i am too i always talk loud you know what just a sidebar for all the loud talkers in the world you are seen I see you. You know what's really annoying, though? What? I talk very loud, but the pitch of my voice in a loud room does not carry at all, and it just looks like my mouth is moving. Nothing happening. It just doesn't carry. I think everyone can hear me all the time. (laughs) My brother called me the loudest person he's ever met. (laughs) Oh, you're up there on my list. 
Yeah. Especially you after a few drinks. The pitch of your voice gets a little nasally and a little higher. <laughs> She's not wrong. She's not wrong. I get really nasally when I drink. That's just a thing. I don't know why. Does anyone else have that? You turn into like Fran Drescher. Please comment on like one of our Instagram posts if you also get oddly nasally when you drink. I don't know. Okay, we got a lot of sidebars today. We're going to come back to it. Well, hello. My name is Angel Wood, host of Crime of the Truest Kind, a new podcast centered on New England crime stories. Each episode walks you through a local story, the places involved in that story, and unravels the details of what happened. To borrow from some of the show reviews, Crime of the Truest Kind has been called clever, brilliant, compassionate, smart, poignant, well-researched, a great balance of storytelling, humor, and New England facts. And if you like true crime and New England, this is the podcast you've been looking for. Now, as a longtime radio host in Boston, I will warn you, rock and roll does creep in. Crime of the Truest Kind. New episodes every other Wednesday. Follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Spotify, Good Pods, Pandora, that's a lot of peas, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Also available on YouTube, SoundCloud, and crimeofthetruestkind.com. Thanks for listening. So Tracy is dead. At this point, uh, he decides he's going to hide her body in the closet and go find someone else to have sex with. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a logical next step. <laughs> My notes have. I don't even know. My notes have. That's absolutely morbid, but like that works too. (laughs) Seems logical. logical. I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. Um, Same. So he meets a woman named we're gonna call her Kara in the lobby, and she sells him drugs, and then they go back up to the room, the same room, to do drugs. Same room. Yeah, to do drugs and have sex. Great. And wait. Did you say where he put her body? In the closet. I know that sounds insensitive. Closet. Okay, yeah. Okay, you did. Okay, did. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, if you're like me, when I go into a hotel room, the first thing I do is open all the closets. And I'm not kidding. I just look around because I like to see what the hotel has to offer. Are the strangers? Like, if you were going back up to this guy's room? Maybe. I'd be like, oh, these are cool hotel rooms. Well, you're not alone because she also opened the closet. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I said something. Yeah, you're not the only one who would do that. Oh, so... nosy Nelly over here. I'd be like, these are beautiful, beautiful hotel rooms. Yeah, literally. Is there an ironing board? Let me check. My next line. So Kara goes with Patel back up to room 214 and she opens the closet and finds Tracy's body. First thing she does. Girl, I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, she op- also. What if there's another person's in there? Like, what if this person brought you back there to like really hurt you? I don't know. There could be like an accomplice in there. I have no idea, but Kara, I got you, girl. So, I got you. So yeah, you snoop in those so, hotel rooms. So Kara rightfully apparently snooped, and uh, I mean I'm glad she did. <laughs> although she doesn't do anything with the information until it's. T- far too late but that's okay i get it um i'll explain why i say it. i get it later because you're probably like no i can already kind of think like, why what the fuck olivia um i'll tell t- a little I'll, but i think i'll tell you why i'm sure 
Yeah, so she opens the door, she finds the body, and Patel tells her what happened, and he says, quote, she was a man, and quote, it was an accident, I didn't mean to do it. Um, And he told Kara that he lunged at her throat and she died instantly. Wow, so not only did he tell her the truth, he told her the whole truth. Yeah, he did. Wow, okay. He spared no details. He's just like, yeah, killed her. She was a man. Didn't didn't mean to, but it happened. He's been in jail for a while. Probably hasn't had many good conversations. Doesn't know when to stop talking. Yeah, this is true. And, And like we've talked about in previous episodes, like, it sounds like this guy spent most of his young adult life incarcerated which means that's the Mm -hmm. only um outside interactions or like interactions with other human beings he's had like he's been raised in in prison well most of his interactions have probably all been with the same sex Mm -hmm. too right his interactions haven't been with women unless they were female guards and they're very transactional interactions and that's it yeah it's just like an environment that's different from Mm mm-hmm what he's used to for the yep so most of his life he tells Kara that he was considering disposing of Tracy's body by throwing it in the ocean, burning it, or chopping it up. And Kara, this she just dis- three of the classics. She discourages him from dismembering or mutilating Tracy's corpse in any way. Uh, I agree. Tracy's body remained in that closet, hidden by clothing and linens, for three days until Patel wrapped it up in a mattress cover and dumped her in a shopping cart behind Mountain Way Dry Cleaning, which was just behind the travel lodge near Capilano Road and Marine Drive. That part sounds familiar. Like how the body was left Mm -hmm. there. That sounds oddly familiar for some reason. I'm sure you've heard about this case at some point, but like I said, it was, like, super underreported, and, like, Mm -hmm. all of this that I've used to put this story together is the product of, like, 21 sources, so, so, you know, it was, it was, like, piecing together a puzzle and trying to make a complete detailed story out of, like, a million different small pieces of information. Yeah, we definitely need to work on as a, like, world normalizing that everybody deserves the same amount of coverage Mm -hmm. and the same amount of awareness brought to their cases. It's bullshit. Yeah. And just to kind of touch on what I said, and I'm sure Katie already knows where I was going with that, but when I said I get it that she, uh, that the second woman didn't, you know, say anything until... um, Yeah. Tracy had already been... Way later. ...found... um, You have to remember this is a community of people who are very untrusting of law enforcement. Um, They're not quick to jump at a chance to interact with law enforcement. And I know for a fact that the downtown east side has a bad history with the RCMP specifically. And so I don't, I didn't even question that she didn't report that to police before the body was found. I just, it wasn't even like a, ooh, why not? Um, I know why. Similar to how a lot of African-American... The same with Indigenous people here in Canada. Don't trust in police. It's a very similar circumstance with a transient community on the east side of Vancouver. It's it's a very similar, I think, mindset to how they would perceive their safety Mm -hmm. and how seriously they'd be taken. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like Katie said, yeah. African American people. Um, that's exactly the same for Indigenous people here in Canada. Um, they are overrepresented 
in prisons and in arrests in terms of their percentage of our population and their untrusting of law enforcement for very rightful reasons. Very good reasons. Uh, very good, good reasons. So, yeah, I know why she didn't report it. So, Tracy's, yeah, Tracy's body, she's found four days after her murder. They find her... May 31st, 2003, at 7 a.m., her body was found wrapped in the mattress cover and uh, stuffed into the shopping cart behind the motel by the owner of the dry cleaning business when he arrived to open shop that morning. Um, and ex- oh. yeah, and, and so it was a pretty extensive investigation by police, but it did lead them to 29-year-old Jatin Battelle with no fixed address. It took me a while to find this information, but he was actually eventually ID'd by using the logo on the hotel mattress, which I kind of thought was cool. Oh. Yeah. Because it wouldn't have been the hotel's logo on the mattress. It would have been the mattress logo. So they would have had to figure out, like, what hotels use that mattress. And, I mean, it was the one that was right behind him, so. He's arrested by IHIT, which we just learned about, or just talked about, I guess. <laughs> we know we know what IHIT is, but we just talked about it. Uh, which, at the time, had just recently formed. Um, and also by the North Van RCMP on June 4th, 2003. So that's the day he's arrested. A candlelight vigil was held for Tracy on June 12th, 2003, And like I've said a couple of times, I just have it written here, so I'll say it again. This case was widely underreported, and the reason that many people believe is her status as being a transgender woman and a sex worker. There is just no coverage. She had what society deems as two points against her. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's what some people use to perceive people's value, which is unfortunate and disgusting. And it's sad for those people because they're really missing out on, like, a whole world of phenomenal people that they could get to know. Yeah. I agree with that. But it always gets worse, Katie. Always. We weren't even really there yet. But Thanks. Just had to say it anyway. Um, so July 26, <laughs> 2005, BC Supreme Court Justice Patrick Dom rejected the application that the murder of Tracy was a hate crime which sparked outrage among the LGBTQ plus community and advocates. Um, The judge said that he felt Patel did not intentionally target Tracy because of her gender identity. He could not have targeted her. I agree with that. Okay. Okay. Right. Like he went into it perceiving that biologically she was a woman based on what he could see. So I understand how he went into it. Like he didn't, necessarily pick her up or meet her with the intention of knowing that Mm -hmm. yeah so and try to get her alone to hurt her yeah so that's the so exactly the judge said he could not have targeted her based on her transgender status because he did not know she was trans when they met i still think though if it could be motivated due to how she identified, I still think it could be classified. I'm gonna, but I do agree with I'm that. I'm gonna point. go on a whim and say that I think that's nitpicky, nitpicky as hell in terms of an application oh, of this law. He was completely fine with the interaction until the moment that he believed she could even be transgender based on some scars and lunged at her and killed her immediately. And wasn't sure. Because they were just that. They were scars. Like, yeah, okay, you you 
didn't intentionally go out of your way to target her, but the second you discovered you that had she... any inkling, exactly. Um, I don't know. I just I'm not sure that. But that's what I was saying. Not sure that I agree on that one. I just think it's a very, very, very nitpicky application of the law. But that's okay. It is. I'm not a judge. I am not a BC Supreme Court justice, though I think I'd Thank make God. a great one. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. No, you'd be good. You're hilarious. No, I'd be like... It's just like some days you're like, I'm just not into this. <laughs> I'm so foggy. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, you couldn't be like that. <laughs> just sitting on the stand like, you Guys, know what, man? I can't even I can't today. even really today, so... Nah. <laughs> adjourned. Yeah. Meeting adjourned. I need a nap. Advocates in the trans community argue that the crime was committed entirely based on this discovery that Tracy was trans and her status as a sex worker, which. Okay. I guess before we get into the next part, I, I'm not defending him and I. What he did. No. Yeah. And I, I will say that. Just entirely based on circumstance of the amount of time that he spent in U.S. prisons, um, I know for a fact that there was a couple things stated there that he was sexually assaulted in prison, and the fact that I wondered he about that. literally landed the day before this happened in Canada, like, alone with no family or anybody that he knew... Like PTSD. I was going to say, I could agree. Yeah. I wouldn't uh, think it was outrageous to claim, which they do, um, that he had a PTSD moment. So, so like a temporary insanity or like a moment of like blackout mm-hmm. or fear. Like there's a response to something. Okay. Yeah. So okay, obviously okay. the trans community does not agree with this and hates this defense. Um, but I'm here to just give you the facts and I'm being... Oh, I don't like it. Impartial. But I think it's... You know what I mean? I'm not... Arguable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Thank you. That's all. So, the defense... This is where we get into it. We knew it was coming. Um, The defense used what is commonly known as the trans panic defense. Um, It's used in the exact same way as the gay panic defense that we talked about in last week's episode. Um, How creative. There's... (laughs) There's slides on our Instagram on a highlight reel that explains, like, how the defense works legally. It's under crime stat slash facts, I believe, if you want to go check that out, at Podcast by Proxy. But the defense for Patel basically argued that his encounter with Tracy, quote, caused him to feel rage, betrayal, and personal violation leading him to suffer PTSD. Um, The defense stated Patel was sexually assaulted during his sentences during his time in different U.S. jails. And that was the explanation for his harsh reaction. The defense... And keep in mind, mm-hmm. he has a medical butthole. This isn't maybe as... This could be far more damaging to someone in his circumstance who has all of these extra needs around that part of his body. Mm-hmm. And that's not even to be funny. Like, he... Yeah. It's... No, it's like not said, funny it's at so all. It's so prone to infection and all yeah. these things. And I can only imagine if it doesn't work properly to begin with, it, you shouldn't fuck with it. Yeah. Oh, that poor guy. I do feel for him in that circumstance because that is one thing. I think people should be able to go to prison without and be safe enough to not get sexually assaulted. 
any gender, any prison, I don't care. That's just how I feel. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, like, when I first started writing this case, I thought I was writing just exactly kind of like I said earlier. It was really underreported. I thought I was just telling the story of this transgender woman person, who really. is so... You know, but it just it just turned into so much more and it spiraled and it snowballed and it deep dove and it artificial buttholed and here we are. Like, I don't know. I mean, once you artificial butthole, I'm you can't go back. I'm just, I guess I'm sorry. I didn't know this was going to turn into this today. Um, There's nothing wrong with having a level of compassion even for someone horrible. Yeah. It just shows you're a good person. Like so. you can still feel for someone. I'm not defending what he did. I'm not saying that it was right. I'm no, just trying to never. provide a full picture. And I feel like once I find facts out, I can't leave them out. The defense issue a plea bargain for the charge to be dropped from second degree murder to manslaughter. Don't agree with that. Yeah. So the defense put it forward and the request is approved with the judge ruling that the crime was committed as a result of panic from being provoked. So basically. Not premeditated. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be a level of premeditation for any murder charge, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah, so he's given a sentence of nine years for manslaughter. He pled guilty to the manslaughter charge on March 9th, 2005, and in his... <gasps> My dad's birthday. Stop it. Right. Now. Are you kidding? Okay. No. Okay. Real talk. You can call my dad now. For him. anyone who's been here for a while, you know why that's spooky. <laughs> I also don't have a big family, so it's also extra weird, weird as hell. And none of my family members' yeah. birthdays ever come up. It's just yours. This is weird. I know. I still think you're cursing me. I don't know that I am. I'm not trying I think to. I got some voodoo I'm shit trying in to there. send you good vibes, not bad ones. I know. I know. I know. Um, it's okay. Apparently you're not very good at it because I'm still standing. Also, like, this is going to be so long, so I'm sorry to everyone. But, like, honestly, this case is crazy. Like, it doesn't end here and it just keeps getting crazier. In the words of Ash and Elena from Morbid, hold on to your butts because we're not done. Um... So, yeah, he bled guilty oh, yeah. to manslaughter on March 9th, 2005, and in his ruling, Justice Dom stated, quote, the accused acted on an impulse and became... Oh, did I already read this part? I think so. The You can cut it out. The accused acted on an impulse and became obviously angry to the point where he could not bring it under control and struck out at Miss Tom. Struck out? It's not a fucking baseball game. Yeah. I thought that was weird wording, weird too, wording. but I'm not gonna... Anyway, continue. I'm not gonna get nitpicky. Yeah. I am. So in 2009, just four years after Patel took the plea deal for manslaughter, he's released and relocated to a halfway house after being granted double credit for the time served following the murder. So he was sentenced because between the time he was arrested and he committed the murder in 2003 to the time that he accepted the manslaughter plea in 2005, he was in jail. So they granted him yeah. double time served, so four years. Plus the four that he already served. So they let oh, him out. That's where they doubled. Yeah. They, okay. they doubled the time that he already served before, like, waiting for sentencing. And holding. Yeah. Okay. So they just let him out. He's soon after that taken into police custody after he failed to return to the halfway house before curfew. Police suspected that he was in the downtown east side with sex workers, which was against his conditions of release at the time. Yeah. No drugs, no sex, no alcohol. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I just wanted to explain for everyone that doesn't know what a halfway house is, just really, really quickly, a halfway house in Canada, it's basically like transitional housing from incarceration back into the general public. It is seen as a place for offenders returning to the community to basically learn or relearn necessary skills, um, needed to in- reintegrate back into society, <laughs> society, uh, but just cut, cut that out, please. No. (laughs) Seen as a place for them to uh, learn or relearn necessary skills to reintegrate back into society and better support and care for themselves. Halfway houses also work to address drug use tendencies and contribute to Mm -hmm. increased public safety by ensuring the safe transition of offenders into the community. So they do have curfews and most will also report to a probation officer in the community, which is what Katie's mom used to do. Shout out, mom. It all comes full circle. We love you, mom. Although, like, ten minutes before we recorded this, she texted me about the Trina Hun case and said, you guys should cover that. And I said, we did. Mom. (laughs) She's not up to date. She'll get this shout out in, like, three to six months. A year sooner. (laughs) (laughs) I was at my parents' house the other day picking something up, and my dad goes, hey, hey, Olivia, come here. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so my mom's in the kitchen and he I can see his phone is like on the counter. So I'm like, okay. So I walk in the kitchen with him and he's like giggling to himself and he's like, watch. And then so I look down at his phone and I can see it's like queued up to a part in our podcast where we start talking about my mom. So he just like hits play and lets me watch her reaction to me talking about her. <laughs> oh my god, what did she do? Uh, I think she thought that one was actually funny because it was the story about the painting of mine that she took down. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you, She me, was Sandy. not impressed that I called her out about reality, Steve, though. You are who you are. <laughs> you really are. So, it's okay. We love you so much, Mom. I actually thought that this is where the story ended. I, I went into this writing the murder of Tracy. So, I write the murder. I write um, the sentencing. I write that he gets out. And I'm like, Cool. We're all done. And then I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. Just kidding. No, we're not. November 2011, Patel gets another year in jail and three years probation for attempted robbery while on bail and at a halfway house. He's subsequently convicted of breaching court orders three times after that. Wow. Okay. Then. You should be back in jail. Listen, it gets, it gets so much worse. On March 7th, 2018, Patel is sentenced by Justice Kenneth Ball to an indeterminate prison sentence and declared a dangerous offender. Hey, he's a risk to society. Why do you ask? You're not asking me why. He killed someone else. I was going to say, you're not even asking why you're yelling that he's a risk to society and to lock him up. (laughs) You're not asking why. (laughs) Why? He was found guilty of two counts of sexual assault and two counts of touching a child under the age of 16 for crimes committed in Surrey, BC in January and March of 2015 on 13-year-olds. Oh my god. He deserves every second of that indeterminate time he's gonna spend in there. Yeah. So this is where the deep dive comes because of course I didn't stop there. No, no, no. I had to write all of this. January 2015... He lures a 13-year-old victim to a motel in Surrey after sending an unsolicited Facebook message asking if she, quote, likes to party. 
The girl meets up with Patel at the Linda Vista Motel, bringing a friend along with her, and there he gave her crystal methamphetamine, a.k.a. meth, and sexually assaulted her... And I couldn't find if he sexually assaulted her friend. Both of the girls' names. and Because well, he got two counts, right? Exactly. But it, like, just wasn't clear. Yeah. Um, but both of the girls' names and any info related to their identity are rightfully protected under a publication ban due to them being minors. Yeah. Patel later texted a friend about the incident, typing, quote, had the time of my life, and, quote, in caps... Two rock hard bodies to play with. Ew. Mm-hmm. And let's just all take a pause to go find our screen pillows and scream in them. That man is disgusting. Yeah, he also mentioned he wanted another night with them. He got it. The second incident occurs in March of 2015. He sneaks them into a recovery house that he was staying at. Oh my god. They also smoked meth together on this occasion, and, like, he was in treatment programs on and off a ton for meth addiction. So maybe it was just the one girl two times. That's what I kind of think. I think it was. Okay, yeah, I don't think he did sexually assault the friend, to be honest, then. I think it was the same girl twice. Because it was also noted in, I think it was the court document, that um, the girl brought her friend along as a, quote, chaperone. Just one 13-year-old chaperoning another 13-year-old at a recovery house to smoke meth. It's, like, devastating, and I hate it. That's how old my niece is, and it just makes me hurt inside. Yeah, the way that that came out sounded probably, like, callous of me, but it just is more me feeling defeated. I don't even know what to say about that. I just have, like, a pit in my stomach knowing, like, that's how old my niece is and she's on social media and it's just scary. It's devastating. And that's how things, like, there was recently a 12-year-old in Victoria that overdosed. Or human trafficking. But even, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a 12-year-old girl close to where we live who overdosed. And I just remember reading that and being like, how? And then I read things like this and I'm like, oh, that's how. So it's really just like, I don't even know what to say. It makes me sick inside and they're babies. You are a baby. I remember being 13 Mm -hmm. and like child, full on child. Yeah, it's a shit age too because you think you're older than you are and you get yourself in some really shit situations that like 13 to 15. Oh, you're just a nightmare. Yeah. The judge notes in his in this sentencing that Patel had cycled through 31 different treatment and recovery programs for drugs by this point. He reminded him after designating him, designating him a dangerous offender that, quote, an indeterminate sentence is not a perpetual sentence, end quote. Basically, he would be periodically eligible for reviews of his parole eligibility. And the killing of Tracy was seen as an aggravating factor in the judge's decision to impose the indefinite sentence and dangerous offender status. But it was not relied upon, obviously. No, and, and that's exactly it. It's one piece of the puzzle of this guy's life to take into account. That's not the only 13 year old he assaulted though. Of course not. He was also found guilty in a court of law of sexual assault and sexual interference for grabbing or pinching. I don't know why it matters what the method was, but here we are. Um, Touching in general. He essentially, he grabbed for, she says about five seconds. Um, 
a 13-year-old girl's butt while she was shopping with her mom and brother at a Safeway store in Surrey in February of 2013. So literally the month between the months he hung out with the girls. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if there was other girls. Yeah, and so this girl was a bad bitch (sighs) and told the court, uh, we were looking for topping for our ice cream and that is when I felt him pinch my butt for about five seconds. Her mother complained to the store manager and Patel was arrested by police in the store. Like, they, they got that shit done. Um, and Bing, bang, boom. he and his lawyer, to this day, inherently deny that he touched the girl. Bullshit. Like, he, he denies it on all fronts and his lawyer denies it as well and says it never happened. And that the... I mean, his lawyer has to. Mom, yeah, it was again in that opinion piece that I read um, that his lawyer wrote, which will come up in a little bit. It, of course, gets way worse. It always does. He files an appeal for the charge related to the Safeway grocery store butt grab. Um, the request for appeal is denied. He appeals that decision to deny his appeal, which is also denied. And both judges found no grounds to appeal the decision and considered the girl to be an impressive witness. Uh, Sounds like it. Yeah. At appeal, Patel argued the girl had lied. The judge shouldn't have believed her and should have acquitted him on reasonable doubt. Um, This decision makes me really happy, though, because I feel like all too often we see abuse victims that aren't believed. Yeah. Right? For sure. And in this case, the... The defendant or Patel is saying, like, nobody actually saw this. It's her word against mine. It never happened. And the judges were basically like, no. I don't want to say fortunate, but because there was the previous attacks, too, that probably factored into the validity of her statement. And it, although all those events are horrific, they were factors in why his sentence is indeterminate. And he is going to be just evaluated over the years. Maybe every five, ten years or so he gets up for parole or whatever, a psyche eval or something. I mean, at least. I um, I hate to be the bearer of unfortunate news. Does he get out? He was released in April of this year. Back into the community oh. in Vancouver. We're going to get there. That's why I said it gets worse. We're actually almost at the end. So if you've made it this far, like, thank you so much. I worked really hard on this case. And the more I got into it, the more I just felt all these stories needed to be told. I know it's, like, so much more than the original case, but it just, like, spiraled. That's and I amazing. really wanted to... I couldn't stop. So, yeah, in this decision denying the appeal in the first request, I just really liked this quote. Justice Verhoeven stated, quote, no legal error was suggested in argument and none has been identified. There is no basis upon which the verdict could be set aside. The appeal is dismissed. I just like it because it's a good reminder that you can't just, like, ask for an appeal because you just, like, don't agree with it. Like, you actually have you to have... You feel like it was unfair. Correct. You actually yeah. have to have legal grounds to stand on to request an appeal. We don't care how you feel. Um, no. See, so yeah, I just really like that quote. So... The court of law isn't a place of your feelings. Mm-hmm. If it was all done on feelings, there'd be a lot of different sentences. There sure would. Yeah, and that goes for us, too. Court of law isn't dependent on the community's feelings, either. It's dependent Mm. on a legitimate application of the law. (laughs) The law. Literally the law. Yeah. Now, this is where Patel files an appeal (laughs) 
for the decision to designate him a dangerous offender. I mean, we knew it was coming. He's going to, you get an indeterminate yeah. sentence. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to appeal it. <laughs> Nobody wants that. So the grounds for this defense was that the accused was considered a dangerous offender based on the inclusion of his nonviolent offenses and the manslaughter charge, which was not sexual in nature. So in this 2020 appeal decision as well. How is the manslaughter charge not in the sexual nature? (laughs) Because it wasn't a sexual assault. The sex itself was consensual. So it's not considered Mm -hmm. like a sexual assault charge. They were having consensual sex. It, in my opinion, still should have been a hate crime, but that's whatever. I agree. It's not whatever, but you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm not the judge. Again, that's your opinion. That's my opinion. Come for me. Don't come for me. At this point, I'm just... I love you all. Please don't hate me. (laughs) I don't even know how to, like... In this 2020 appeal, and this is why I continued this case and why it never stopped. This 2020 appeal decision is the first time that I started to see she pronouns for Patel. Yeah. Okay. So the reason that I wrote the entire thing in he pronouns is because he identified as male throughout that entire time period and the entire time I was researching it that is how it was written he was a he and it was not until literally two nights ago when I started writing the very end which is this portion here um the decision on this 2020 appeal that he makes were you just like Wait, sorry, I should have said she because now I'm going to switch my pronouns to she because she identifies as a female now. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I just wasn't expecting it. Um, So I left it written how I wrote it. Well, no, I think that's fair because I think that's when their storyline changed too. Absolutely. So I think that that's valid. I think you identified with how they identified at the time, which is respectable. Yeah. So... To be honest, that was, like, not expect. That was a not expected twist in the story. Um, But in the piece that her lawyer wrote this year, the lawyer still used the he pronoun in the delivering... Just be someone being a bit ignorant. That's kind of what I was thinking, because in the delivering of the decision in the March 2020 Dangerous Offender Appeal, Justice McKenzie specifically noted that she would be referring to Patel in the present as she, but that at the time of the offenses, she identified as male. So I think if it was written in the court of law, it happened. Yeah. Like, it's legit. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was just... No, I agree. Even if you read articles from April of 2021, when it was announced that she was getting released into the community, they're written in he pronouns. So some news outlets have caught up and figured it out and some haven't. So I did want to put it out there that she legitimately does identify as female now, even though not all the sources are aligned on that. Okay. That's amazing for her if that's what she wants to do and that's how she feels best. Um, like if that's your truth, I, that's your truth. Great. Yeah. 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 Good on you. Yeah, I just be you. Yeah. But I don't really give a shit about you. <laughs> I want to know who you are so I can watch out for you. That's about Pretty it. Pretty much. I mean, it doesn't change any of the horrible things that. What if she listens to she's this? She's done. Please don't come for me. I don't know. <laughs> Eek. Eek is right. So Justice Anne McKenzie noted that. She agreed with the trial judge in that she would personally dismiss the appeal, but appeal courts are a two out of three vote, and on March 18th, 2020, 
The two other appeal court judges, Justice Bruce Butler and Justice Gregory Fitch, uh, voted to allow the appeal and a new dangerous offender hearing. Annoyed. Basically, the reason that they gave was that the designation of dangerous offender status relies on the accused's ability to control their sexual impulses and requires an assessment of the risk of sexual reoffending. So it's specifically related to sex crimes, and the sentencing judge allowed the use of the manslaughter charge and Patel's prior non-violent criminal past as aggravating factors to allow the decision. So two out of three judges don't agree. I literally have a note here that says, I will leave that one up to listener discretion. Decide how you feel. Um, yep. I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that one a little. I think that you feel either way. Obviously, these judges did. And and that's, honestly, that happens all the time in a legal setting. People disagree on the application of law, mm-hmm. and that's okay. So... I'm going to leave that one up to you to decide how you feel on it. Um, But in April of 2021, so just a couple months ago, it was announced that after seven years on a long-term supervision order, Jatin J. Patel, who is now 46 years old and I believe still considered to be a high-risk offender, uh, I think that's a lifetime title. Yeah, is released back into the community. Patel is South Asian, 5'2", has a medium build, She has short black hair and brown eyes, and she must comply with the following conditions. She cannot consume, purchase, or possess alcohol, cannot consume, purchase, or possess drugs other than prescribed medication, cannot associate with any person believed to be involved in criminal activity or substance misuse, must not be in the presence of any female under the age of 18 and less accompanied by an adult, cannot be in, near, or around any park, daycare, school, swimming pool, or recreational center unless accompanied by an adult, must not own, use, or possess any technological device that would allow access to the internet. What? We use it unless accompanied by an adult. I don't know. <laughs> like a 46-year-old woman needs company by an adult. Stop. Must not have con- Like, just in that context. Stop it. Let me finish this. <laughs> Katie can't even. (laughs) Must not have contact with or be in or near locations where sex workers are and must reside at a community correctional center or a community residential facility or other residential facility. Anyone who witnesses Jetin Patel in violation of any of these conditions is asked to call 911. Um, I will have photos of her currently on our instagram page um i was just looking her up just in case if you're local to vancouver and you want the picture yeah i was just looking her up i also find it interesting that no one else can see us but i'll show you and i'm sure you've seen this when you google it the two articles back to back the first one is convicted killer jailed indefinitely for sexual assault of teen Mm -hmm. the next one vancouver (laughs) police issue warning about sex offender release it's like guys one is 2018 and one is 2021 can we do a little longer please yeah we could do better. That story, in my opinion, was a roller coaster. It was. It's a lot. And I know I've been kind of... This is her? That is... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, there is a picture of her when she still identified as a male from, like, her previous crime yeah, as well. That one. So I'm going to post both just so... And quite different looking. Yeah. The hair makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So I'll post, I'll post both. She's 46 years old now. I think I said that at the end of... I think that was written in there. And it does say she is high risk specifically to female teenagers. Be vigilant, people. 
and I, and I think people might think that I wrote this or that we did this case because of this release, like, because I, because those art news articles have been popping up. Yeah, and not at all. That's not it at all. I did it specifically for Tracy and I wanted to tell Tracy's story and that's like what I wanted the highlight of this to be. It just got really out of hand. Yeah, and we are focusing our cases this month, as mentioned last week, on LGBT-related cases specifically. Well, and I just, I think also just because of how the case evolved and then with, like, Jatin um, transitioning at some point during the case as well, it was just so crazy to me that the whole, it just snowballed. Yeah, it's a fuck And we're a true crime podcast, I'm just here to tell you about it all. Yep, don't shoot the messenger. But, um, if you're still here, thank you. Please, if you yeah. would like to consider following us on Instagram, I work really hard on it at Podcast by Proxy. And yeah. Also, if you were considering it, you could leave us a rating, review, and subscribe on whatever listening platform you listen. Totes. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been seeing a few more of those come through. I'd love to see some more. So if you have an iPhone, if you're part of that iPhone cult life, like I said before, swipe all the way <laughs> to the end of your screen, click that little purple button, search podcast by proxy, leave us a review. Totally. That's it, really. And if you're a podcaster, like if you're listening to this and you also have a podcast, it doesn't have to be a true crime podcast, but if you really like our podcast, um, mm-hmm. Send us an email, podcastbyproxy at gmail.com. Reach out to us and just let us know you're interested in a promo swap. Um, yeah. We're doing free promo swaps with other podcasts, so we really want to, like, insert your... You would have heard one. I believe um, it was Crime of the Truest Kind is going to be in today's episode, so you would have heard um, that promo already, and we're going to try and start doing more promo swaps to really promote other podcasts i love the community and i love being engaged in it reach out if you're interested in that i talked a lot today so i think i'm probably done yeah no that's great i think you did a wonderful job i think that was such a roller coaster like you said and i actually don't have anything else to say because you've just said everything wonderfully yeah okay, love you bye, bye. <laughs> i'll call you soon okay <gasps> okay bye bye how do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>